and welcome to the teachings of Co-Church. We want to grow in our relationship with Jesus and help you to do the same. We are passionate about real community, so please reach out to us and connect by visiting our website www.co-church.org or joining us in person every Sunday as we gather. We hope this talk is helpful. Guys, I um, started the month with you. I feel like uh, we started talking about prayer and uh, the story of the world, and we kind of ended with how the church is essentially the chapter of the story of the world that we're in. And so it's so important that we grab a hold of the church. Everything that she, and I can say she because Bevan last week preached about her as a bride, and so this is why we call her a she. Um, but everything that she is called to be from heaven's perspective, okay, not because, not from our church experiences, um, not from what the church down the road is doing, but from heaven's perspective to actually take some time to focus in on what does the word say about the church? Because my prayer is that we would become that church, a kingdom church. That is our goal. We're not going to have a separate culture. We don't have a co-church vibe going on. We just want kingdom culture in our church. Us being a collection of individual parts, gifts, talents, seen, unseen, and we come together and we're connected by our coming together. It's like the ligaments and the connective tissue is our gathering, our commitment to it. I feel like as adults, we just all have to gauge within our own hearts, whether we are somebody that actually comes to the gathering, like brings ourselves to the gathering, because there's a difference between attending and, and bringing yourself. Do you know what I mean? I feel like a great gauge to see whether you are bringing yourself into the gathering is like, are you somebody that prioritizes the gathering? Like, are you casual about it on a Sunday morning? Or is it like a conviction that runs deep into you? I will be somebody that gathers, you know? It's, 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 it's Hebrews 10 tells us not to neglect the gathering, even more so as the day, capital D, be the day that Jesus is coming back, approaches. And I wonder whether it's this prophetic piece of scripture in there that is trying to actually tell us that as it becomes easier and easier to stay at home. I mean, we're living in a time where it's really easy to stay home, guys. We can just watch church online. We can catch up on it next week. But there's something about bringing yourself to the gathering. And I feel like God in his word is warning us of that. Like, don't stop. Don't stop gathering because it's only in the face-to-face -face and in the relationships that get built when you're face-to-face -face that actually the ligaments can connect the different parts of the body. I just want to say, we will never be a church that questions anybody slipping in or slipping out. I don't know the story, but I would say like that everybody's carrying, right, in the room. But I would say that as adults, as Christians, question yourself always in all spaces. Um, question, like, Am I somebody who's attending or am I somebody who is bringing myself? Am I somebody that prioritizes the gathering? Because the body needs you. Like the body is not as healthy as if, if you were playing its part. Like if we're functioning on one lung and missing fingers and one leg, like amazing, we can actually function. But if you're not bringing yourself to the equation, I just want to say that the body is lesser so because of it. And so Bev preached about the body and then he preached about the bride and I love, I actually wanted to speak about the bride, but he, he stole it from me because um, I love it because basically the church will weather anything because 
I know it will because it is written in the word that Jesus is coming back for his church and therefore there is a church to come back for at the end of time. It will weather everything, whether it's an underground church, whether it's a church that is able to meet like we are just freely out in the open, whatever it looks like, there will be a church for Jesus to come back to. And so when people say the church is on the decline or it's dying, like I can't agree with them because there will the, the church will push through and has pushed through for a couple of thousand years now, anything and everything until Jesus' return. And it is getting more and more and more beautiful as it goes towards that final day, right? And then today, guys, I want to speak about the church being a house. I think that was our goal this month, that we just wanted to pick out a couple of metaphors as to how the church is described in the Word of God. And so it's described as a house. In Ephesians 2, um, Paul's actually, he's writing to the Gentiles. I'll move this over, can so everyone can see the screen. Um, but he's writing to the Gentiles, okay, a people who have not, they're not used to calling themselves a people of God. And suddenly in this New Testament time, they are able to do so. And he writes, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. And then listen to this. God is building a home. Okay, we're talking about the house of God today, a home that he is building. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. We sang that so beautifully this morning. That holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Isn't that the most lovely thing, to think of ourselves as living stones or as bricks all built into this house of God that is under construction across time because it started with the apostles. They are the foundation. Jesus, that revelation of who Jesus is, is the cornerstone. I don't know if you know that um, story of how when Jesus is just walking with his disciples one day and he asks Peter, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And Peter's answer is, oh, some people say you're a great teacher and some people say you're a prophet and like that's the talk of the town and then when he asks Peter directly one of his nearest and dearest friends when he's on the planet right and he says well who do you say that I am and at that point Peter replies you're the Christ like you are the son of the living God and he says to him blessed are you Peter because nobody has told you that that is a revelation that you have had and on that revelation I'm going to build my church That's the cornerstone. I am building it on me, who I am, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That church will continue. The house of God is being built. You know, the first time there was actually a physical structure that people would have called the house of God was um, when the Israelites would have had a tabernacle. We talked about that a little bit last month. But um, basically when they were in the wilderness, God gives them this blueprint to build a tent-like structure called a tabernacle. And within it is the Holy of Holies where God dwells. His presence literally dwells there. He comes and and dwells among the people in a different way, okay, in this tent-like structure. And he moves with them. That's why it's a tent, because they were on the move. They were wandering through the wilderness. And then when they finally settle into their promised land, David has this idea that we should actually, why is God living in a tent and we're all living in these amazing houses? Let's build him a temple. But he doesn't actually get to actuate that plan. It's his son Solomon who does. And Solomon builds the most magnificent 
temple. Like there was nothing like it on the earth at that time. In fact, the Queen of Sheba, I don't know if you have a parent like I had, but if I was ever asking my mum for something that she thought was a bit over the top, she's all, who do you think you are, the Queen of Sheba? Did anybody else have a mum like that? Like in other words, bit extreme term, we're not, we're not buying that. Because the, the Sheba was like the most incredible place and she hears about the temple of God and she gets into her little caravan and um, heads off to go and see it. And she is blown away. She said, I have never seen anything like this. It was phenomenal, that temple. But it's destroyed in about 568 BC or so, yeah, 586 BC. It's actually destroyed. The Israelites are exiled to Babylon. And then they return and they rebuild the temple. And then Jesus comes to the earth, okay? And he has things to say about the temple. And then in about 70 AD, it's destroyed again, and it's never been rebuilt. And it's why we see the Jewish people go to Israel and go to that one foundation wall that remains of the temple, this place that they just loved. It was the, it was the presence of God for them. And they literally bawl their eyes out on that wall. So it's called the Wailing Wall. Um, and if you ever go to Israel, like it's an experience to go there and you see these little rolled up notes that people have written prayers on and they've chucked into the crevices of the wall. It's the one thing that they have that reminds them of the temple and the former glory. But the reality is I don't think that temple will ever be rebuilt because we're in a different time. We're in a different chapter. We are now the temple. In Corinthians, it actually says, I haven't given you that scripture cans, but 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and was given to you by God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we come together, all of us, these houses of the Holy Spirit, as we come together as a collective, we become the house of God. It's an incredible thing, actually. And I say we become because it is something, it's a deep work that happens in us. We don't do church. We become the church. We, it, like the, the presence of God, who he is, and the Holy Spirit works himself into us in such a way that we are people that can walk around where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, the fruits of the Spirit, as they are in Galatians 5, are just part of the fabric of who we are. And we come together with all our different gifts and talents, and we become the house of God. The first time, I just want to, um, in talking about the house of God, okay, I just want to pull out a couple of scriptures. I actually only had two that I wanted to pull out, just to share with you that would maybe like bring highlight to the significance of us being the house of God, okay, in our communities. And then I actually woke up sometime this morning, as I was pondering this, I knew I was going to be preaching on Sunday, I just had a busy week, and I was like, oh, thinking about it, and it's really only yesterday that I was able to sit down and quickly just jot it down, jot down the thoughts. But sometime in the week, um, I woke up and I had this word, house of bread, that was just in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, and I'm all, what is with that? And then I'm all, oh, that's right, I'm preaching this week on the house of God. Clearly there must be a connection, God. You obviously wanted me to include that. So I'm going to tag that one on to the end there. But essentially, house of bread is, um, like in John 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And it's crazy because he is born in Bethlehem, okay? Jesus, the bread of life, is born in a little town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem translated into English is house of bread. It's like the bread of life came from the house of bread to feed the world spiritually, but actually also physically. And so I'm going to finish off by talking about us being the same kind of 
bakery, <laughs> house of bread, that we will be people who will feed and we would actually also, out of who we are, birth people that would be gifted to our community as leaders who will take physical and spiritual food to people. But before we go there, because I'm now just getting ahead of myself, let's just look at the first place that the house of God is ever mentioned in scripture. It's in Genesis 28. And um, it's actually, there's a, there's a story going on. Are you with me? Because I know I talk so fast. There's too much to say in such a short space of time. But um, Genesis 28, we're basically hearing the story of a man called Jacob. Okay, we're going right back to the beginning of the Bible. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob is the lineage. And it's, 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 it's an, it's, we're now focusing on Jacob, okay, in this portion of Scripture. And basically what he's just done is he's stolen his older brother's blessing. Talking, we'll talk about that another time. But um, his mother sends him away. She's all, you need to actually, your brother wants to kill you. You don't have to run away. Go and actually, well, how about you go and find a wife amongst um, our family that live far, far away? It's pretty crazy days. They'd all marry each other's cousins and it's weird. Anyway, but off he goes to go and find a wife, okay? And here we are in scripture in Genesis 28, verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba, okay, his hometown, and he traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. If any of you are into art, you would have 100% come across a picture or a painting of this whole moment in scripture. It is painted over and over again, basically Jacob's dream. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. In essence, he is, God is repeating what he had given Abraham. He's repeating that same gift, that same blessing to Abraham's grandson so that the revelation stays through the generations. Because who knows? Stuff can get lost in translation. It's one thing for Abraham to have had that revelation and that relationship with God, that friendship with God. But if it's going to continue through the generations, every generation needs to have that moment, that revelation for themselves. It's why kids' church is so important. We're taking up um, offers for any volunteers after the service, just saying. So, um, <laughs> okay, so your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. This is God speaking to Jacob, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. I mean, it's pretty profound. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway 
to heaven. In this moment where he has this revelation, this encounter with God, he calls it the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Because as the house of God, it's what we are called to be. We're called to be a space that is literally the very gateway to heaven for people. We're called to be a space of salvation and divine encounters for people, like divine encounters with God. I don't think you guys have got this for the screens, but the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil over it and he named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. And then Jacob made this vow, listen to his vow. If God will indeed be with me, in other words, if this is true, this revelation I've just had, oh my gosh, if this is legit, if this is for real, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, which is just by the way he does, then the Lord will certainly be my God. It's a personal moment for Jacob, a personal moment of connection with God. He makes that choice for himself. Something that we all have to do for ourselves, like we're not born into the house of God, we choose it. Our children are not Christians because they come to church. They choose it at some stage in their life. This is Jacob's choosing that certainly he will be my God. And this memorial pillar that he has, I've set up, will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Actually, so crazy that his natural response out of, I have this revelation of God for myself personally, that you gave everything. Everything is from you. And I want to give back. And it's actually beautiful. Maybe when we get to House of Bread in the middle, in a minute, I, I, um, I might speak a little bit more about that. But like he gives this tenth. In the Hebrew, that, that word tenth is tithe. And, and you would have heard the word tithe if you've been around church for any length of time. But it is his natural response to just start tithing. And only later do we realize that there's blessing in that. And you realize that Jacob is this man that was just incredibly incredibly blessed. And sometimes you have to make the connections in life. You know, I have found myself sitting with people before. Um, we actually don't know who tithes and who doesn't, and we don't need to know. Because again, I think it's a personal thing. We're all adults. You've all got to just, everyone's got to get with God themselves, hey, and make these different choices. The only thing that I would ever want is for that for people that, that, that we get to pastor, that we get this a privilege to be able to pastor, is that people would live blessed, that they would know the word of God, that they would have had this personal encounter because we've done everything we can possibly do to create a house, a space that allows for this gateway of heaven. And then that people make these personal choices that see themselves just blessed in life flourishing in life. It's the heart of God. I need to quickly get through these um, these last two thoughts, and I'm going to make them quick, okay? It's the house of God. Like, it's a place of salvation. It's a place of God encounter. So, too, is it a place of truth. In 1 Timothy, let's just look at it really quickly, 3, 14 to 15, it says, this is Paul speaking, and he's speaking to his... Um, his guy, he's speaking to Timothy, the guy he's training up for ministry. And he says, I hope to come to you before long, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. We are called to be a pillar 
and foundation of truth. And honestly, in a world where truth is becoming so blurred right now, if the church does not hold things up and be the pillar, like our worry for the crumble effect on the rest of humanity, we are the pillar and foundation of truth. I heard um, one of my favorites to hear speak is a woman called Ziggy Orblander. She's German born. She was actually born in Berlin, right in the thick of World War II. So she's old now and has the most incredible life to speak of. She talks about how she went to brainwashing camps and she was born right in the thick of the Nazi regime. And um, yeah, like crazy, crazy stories, okay? One day, one day, actually, I'd like to even just take one of her messages and we'll just play it back to you because like what a woman. She lived in Pakistan for 10 years. She smuggled Bibles across the Iron Curtain. She remembers looking over, she says, like in this little wooden shed while they were trying to run away her family from the Nazis and looking over as a little child, not even being able to see through the windows of their freezing woman wooden cabin. I don't know if you've been to Germany and that part of it was freezing. And she had been left there for days while her parents were out trying to get firewood to just... Um, Um, be able to cook something. They were on the run. And she talks about those early years of her life. It was so tangible, the times that she was living in. They were evil times. And she said that they they as a family had to be so careful how they conducted themselves, what they said, where they went, what they thought, sometimes even, you know, because you've got to be careful with your thoughts and then they're going to be spoken out loud. She said they had neighbours in one of their streets who um, had been friends for years. But because of the brainwashing that was happening, one of their daughters who was picked as somebody that the Nazis were wanting to get hold of and to imprison had to actually, um, not one of her daughters, sorry, her sister, one of the parents' daughters, had had to run away. And she came home just for half an hour to see her family and the neighbours told on her. And they came and took her daughter, um, took the sister. And she's just got these, she's like, you had, we had to be so careful what we said. She then went, goes on to live in, in America. She, she gets married. She has amazing kids, does amazing things, has been coming to South Africa actually for years and years and years because God told her to. And she's phenomenal to hear speak. But she, in the last time I heard her speak a couple of weeks ago, was just saying, guys, that same feeling that I had as a little girl in Berlin where it was like we're living in, in evil times, she's like, I have that same feeling in my spirit these days. And we have got to, the church has got to, get with the program, know where we are and recognize how important it is that we be pillars of truth. Because if we do not stand for truth, then who will? All I'm saying is that people are desperate for truth. Like we need truth. It needs to run through our being. And we, the church, are called the pillar of truth. The convictions that are spelt out into the Bible and to stand true to those because we need to be a place, a shelter that people can come And it says in the word that it's the truth that sets people free. John 8, it's the truth. People need to be able to come in here. They need to be able to hear the truth and they will be set free. But where else do they go these days if not the house of God, the pillar of truth? And lastly, house of bread. Kind of started that thought for you. But can we just look at Malachi, Cairns? Malachi 3, 6, and then we'll wrap up. It's this piece of scripture, it's God speaking to his people, the Israelites, and essentially he's talking to them about the house of God being a place of supply. He's talking about the house of God being somewhere where people can come and they can feed physically and spiritually, okay? Because sometimes we can get a little bit like, ah, do we teach a man to fish or do we give him a fishing rod? Both. 
both. Give him the fish so he can eat and then give him the rod so he can continue to eat. And that is the, so the way of the father. Remember when he was like um, on the mountain preaching his first sermon ever and then it's getting late and people are getting hungry and he's like, that's fine, just give me that little boy's fish and loaves and I'll multiply it and I will feed you physically. He fed them spiritually and then physically. The first time he ever does this miracle, he's at a feast, a wedding feast. The last thing he does on the planet is have a meal with his disciples. He's so about tangible food as well as spiritual food, okay? And um, Malachi, let's end with this, Cans. Malachi 3, 6, 12. This is God now speaking to his people towards, um, yeah, it's actually the last book of, of the Old Testament. There's a gap of about 400 years or so where there's nothing written down. And so we're edging towards the time of Jesus here, okay? And he says, for I am the Lord, I do not change, but remain faithful to my covenant with you. And that is why you, O sons of Jacob, okay, we just talked about Jacob, and I love that he mentions Jacob because he's almost like highlighting, do you remember that promise I gave to Jacob? Okay, you are the sons of Jacob, all right? Remember his promise because that promise continues for you, even though you're this far on in the story of the world, okay? O sons of Jacob, those promises have not come to an end. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes and ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, says God's plea, like, come back to me. Come back into the circle of blessing here, people, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? This is God having a dual conversation, telling them what they ask and him giving the answers. Will a man rob God? This is heavy, actually, yet you are robbing me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God's reply is, in tithes and offerings you have withheld. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, this whole nation. He says, bring all the tithes, okay, the tenth, into the storehouse. This is what we're called, the house of God. We are a storehouse that is meant to be able to feed people. Bring in the resource so that there may be food in my house, so that my house can be a house of bread. And test me now. It's the only time that God ever says test me. I think it's probably to do with finances because we get orcs around finances. Like I think he's probably just like, I understand. I understand that this is hard for you. So here we go. I'm just going to say to you, test me, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you so great a blessing until there is no more room to receive it. And then I will rebuke the devourer, insects, plagues for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruits of your ground. In other words, I'm actually going to look after your stream of provision. If you do this, I'm going to look after your stream of provision, okay? And nor will your vine in the field drop its grapes before the harvest, says the Lord of hosts. All nations shall call you happy and blessed, for you shall be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. House of bread, physically and spiritually. We're called to be who Jesus was when he walked the planet. We're called to be the bread of life to people, physically and spiritually. And I don't know, I kind of love a good bakery. Went to Glenwood Bakery floor this week, got myself some good cheer butters and pastries. Love it. But I feel like I, I love that connection with us being a house of bread. There's nothing like that smell or that atmosphere of a bakery. And I feel like in the house of God, guys, people feed off our words. They feed off, maybe it is a physical naturally feed off if we're actually giving um, to, to help in, in the same way that we'd love to build nearly this house 
mouths. Like there's a physical, tangible, give a man a fish and teach him to fish. There's practical and there's spiritual. But you know what people feed off in the house of God? They feed off an atmosphere. You know, like you can hear me speak, but it's if, if um, I don't know, if you knew that I was then like on the sly, I had a business and I'm treating my employees like absolute dirt and I'm avoiding my taxes, my kids are a shambles. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what I say. You're not really going to listen, right? They feed off like an atmosphere of who we are. And so my prayer is that us at the house of God, if we're going to be a house of bread, that God is going to do this like deep thorough work in us, that we're going to be people, I think Bev showed that clip of the early church and how they would witness, that we'll be people who just have this deep work of the Holy Spirit running through us so that when people are looking for truth and they come in to the pillar of truth, we can feed because we're a pillar of truth, but we're the house of bread too. And so too are we a place for salvation and divine encounters. This is my prayer. These three things, us being the house of God, that we would have divine encounters, we would be a place of salvation, we would be a place of food, and we will be a place of truth in Jesus' name. Thank you for connecting with us. If you have any questions about today's teaching or anything else, please email us on hello at co-church.org or visit us on our website on www.co-church.org. We gather in person every Sunday here in Umhlali on the north coast of KwaZulu-Natal and you are so welcome to join us. Until next time, my name is Chloe Mflongo. Ujehova magagbusisi. Agulondolozi. Magakanyisubusubake pezguako. May God bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you.